diverse poetry scene. Poets using their voices to entertain, to move, to take you on a journey. Connecting you to grassroots poetry and performance. Welcome to the Spoken Word Show on 3CR Community Radio. My name is Waffle Iron Girl. 3CR broadcast from Wurundjeri land in the Kulin Nation, stolen land. We pay respects to elders past and present. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Our guest today is Fleecy Malay. Fleecy is a two-times TEDx speaker and viral poet, internationally renowned spoken word artist and coach. They are a global advocate for women's rights, LGBTQI plus visibility, and a fierce voice for the power of authenticity and courage as a social change tool. They are here today to talk about their collection, Virago, a poetic manifesto. Welcome, Fleecy. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Um, this book, Virago, it's a beautiful piece of work, uh, visually as well as um, with the poems inside. Um, tell us about how it came about. Firstly, thank you. That's really nice to hear. Um, it's nice to hear because I wrote it and put it together in lockdown, so I never really got any in-person feedback from it. Um, and they, they came up with the idea of it before the, the Melbourne lockdowns happened and released a crowdfunder to try and get it together. And uh, five days after the, the kind of COVID hit Australia. So it was in a really weird time for me personally and for the country and the world. Originally, I was, uh, wanted to just find a way of collating my poetry. And the way that I do that is I look for themes within my poems and I try and find a theme and then order poems in a way that tells a story. So with my previous book, Sex and God, there was it's all like erotic and devotional poetry but it tells the story of a relationship as in it starts in the hungering and the mourning and it, and it, it grows into like the, the kind of ravenousness of, of new passion and it moves into the kind of sadness of loss and the grief and then back into kind of comfort and love with self. And that's the kind of overarching story of that book. So with this book I had such a wider variety of, of poems in there and I couldn't, I felt really stuck about what to call it. And I was originally going to call it Static in the Mist because it's a line from one of the poems I really love. And that's so, <laughs> I was like, oh, it's so poetic, it's beautiful. But it didn't, it, it, it lacked something for me. And then I heard this word virago, which means warrior woman in, um, in Latin. But it actually means like vir, which is the first part of the word, means man in Latin. And so it means a woman who's strong because she's like a man. And I got really angry when I, when I heard that, when I read about that. And I think what happens is like, I then get hyperfixated on something. And I got really hyperfixated in my frustration at the word virago. It's used as a way like to call someone a battle axe or to, to really bring women down. It's used as like a negating term for women these days. Uh, and 
how often that has happened to so many words to do with women and femininity or anything to do with the female sex organs, this sort of stuff. And I love all those words. Um, and Virago was a new one that I'd heard, and I think it re spurred up this frustration for me and this question of, like, well, it, we're not strong because we're like a man. People who identify as women aren't aren't anything because of the way they compare to another gender. They are what they are because of who they are. And so for me, what this book became was a bit of a manifesto, I guess, of strength, of what it means to be strong as someone who identifies as a woman in a patriarchal world. And it acknowledges that actually, you know, mental, our mental health breaks are strength. Our sexuality is strength. Our anger is strength. Our love and this like deep romantic soul, if we have that, that is strength. Um, grief, our grief is a strength. And these are all the puzzle pieces that build up who we are. And who we are is innately strong because we're here. And we, we, I, just, I just believe everyone is strong. This idea that someone's weakness and strength. It's like there's, there's strength in everybody. And so for me, this book, I think there's a line actually in the, um, in the intro I have titled this book Virago because it's my poetic manifesto of what it is to be a warrior woman. Every chapter is another facet of my womanness, my warrior nature, every poem a battle cry. Let this become the new definition of Virago, a woman whose strength is evident in her courage to be herself. And I think that's that's what the book became for me. And it's interesting for me now as somebody, you know, I identify as a gender fluid woman I identify as, as gender diverse and non-binary as well as identifying as being a woman and it's so it's kind of odd looking I mean I published this maybe two years ago I haven't changed so much as a person necessarily I mean we've all changed but I think my language has evolved a little bit and it's been a really unique journey for me to look back on my work about womanness and to not reject it and to still embrace that there's so much truth in all of it. It's all still very real, and I still 100% identify as a woman, and I 100% identify as gender fluid and non-binary at the same time. It was really striking to me that you have these um, four sections to the book, um, and each section does really look at a very different aspect um, of womanhood. Um, maybe something from the first section? Yeah, absolutely, sure. I'm actually going to go for the second section. Now I've thought about it. <laughs> Seems totally in character for Fleecy Malay to do... <laughs> I'm going to read this one because it's about my daughter. And it's one that I really love. A woman walked past me today. And I was captivated by her beauty in a very specific way. Her ruby hair tied in bunches, her fresh face alive with life tattoos down her arms and a piercing on her philtrum, highlighting the curve of her cupid's bow. This isn't the first time that this has happened, that a woman like this stops my heart, makes time speed up and captivates me in a very specific way. And not in the way that you might think, not with sexual desires in my soul, though that does happen with other women, but not her. You see... When she walked past me, I saw you. You when life has taken you out of my nest. When your wings have spread your ruby hair afire in the grey streets of this world, a symbol that you will not take its bullshit, that you are here to transform, that you are beyond its predefined confines, that you will not fit into its boxes, that you love like fire, consuming mass in passion and focus, that you can warm and warn, light and destroy, girl. 
woman child. When women like her walk past me, their bodies fully formed, yet their youth vibrant yet mature, going about their day oblivious to the effect they have on my heart, it stops me in my tracks. It reminds me that you will not be this small forever, yet you will always be this precious to me. But somewhere there is a mother sat wondering where her little girl is right this minute, wondering if her heart is happy, wondering if she did it right, if she gave her the tools she needed to hold a sacred space around her body, around her heart, around her mind, if she still remembers how worthy she is when she's out there alone. It reminds me that the laughter we share, the spark in your eyes that lights my soul will not always be focused on our love. That one day, you too will walk these streets alone, head high, filled with the drive of a woman like me. And that's why I call you woman child. That's why I know you're not mine. That's why I love you with all of my heart, protect you with all of my ferocity and hold you with all of the understanding I can muster. Because one day, you'll be out here too, walking past someone else's mother sitting in a cafe, reminding her of who her little girl might become, making her heart stop with your incredible beauty. I actually really love that you started with a poem about your daughter. When you said that your first book was about you know, a relationship, um, my reading of Virago was actually, it seemed to be subtly a love letter to your daughter. But what's interesting to me about it is it's, there's so much in there about motherhood and your love for your daughter. Do you want to talk a little bit about you know your experience of motherhood? Mm. I think firstly, acknowledging that so often motherhood is plateaued as a necessity to be a good woman or to be a worthy woman. And it's just not true. And I spent most of my life envisaging myself as like someone who got to their late 40s, realized they never had kids and will just be the cool auntie. And that's kind of how I pictured myself. And it was only when my kid was about three that I realized that I would never be that because I'd had a kid. And I think there's something in motherhood that we don't get given space for enough in society, and that's grief. That there is... Um, there's, there's grief for those of us who lose children. There's grief for those of us who get pregnant and can't for whatever reason or, or don't for whatever reason want to keep that child. There is grief for um, people who can't have children. And there's another grief for those of us who have a child and everything that you knew you were is gone. And it's so expected when you have a child that you should be a happy mum. Oh my God, you've got a new baby. It's so special. Everything is a first from now on. But my brain, when I was pregnant, I was very sick. I almost died. In pre I, I, I have like an allergic response to pregnancy. It's called hyperemesis gravidarium. And all I could focus on was this was the last time I get to do this. This is the last time I get to do that. And I think this is also really integrated with it, like um, post um, postnatal depression and things like that but that there is a grief of letting go that, for, that forever really you'll never be back the person that you were beforehand and I don't feel like maybe some people are prepared for that but I was not prepared for that when I got pregnant I was primarily hungry for the concept of pregnancy 
and not for the reality of it. And when I got hit by the reality of it, it manifest there was depression, there was anxiety, there was deep, deep grief. It took turning to other young mothers and talking to them and taking the risk in a room full of people who were all smiling and bouncing their babies on their knee to go, I feel grief. And even if only one of those women turned around and looked at me and said, hey, me too, that I found a place of home in that. And I think for me, there's absolute love for my daughter. And I love her to pieces. And you're right, that's so central to this book. But a big story of motherhood that's in this book is the letting go as well. We have to let go of our needs and desires almost completely for a while and then we have to learn to let go of letting go and learn to actually like push against this patriarchal concept that we have to surrender everything to be a good mum and actually say no I need some alone time and no I need to have my own career and this sort of stuff it's a constant journey of reevaluating who you are because you suddenly have this other person in your life who's constantly changing and constantly growing and so especially for those first few years my your identity as a parent is defined by the person you're parenting and um, for me there's a lack of conversation around nuance with parenthood and motherhood that I am really passionate about that I've always been passionate about talking about without even realizing I was passionate about it because I would do it I would be in the mother's circles I would be in the parenting groups I'd be in the play groups and I'd just be compelled to talk about grief and sadness and how unfair it was when I was forced to do certain things and all this sort of stuff you know I'd actually really love to hear uh, you read one of um, the ones about surrender. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I thought pregnancy was the biggest surrender that I would ever know. Five months of bedbound sickness, vomiting, watching my world fall apart around me, watching my identity die, my body wasting away while another grew inside me, myself wasting away whilst another grew inside me scrabbling to find some sense in it all, telling myself what I'd always been told. The martyrdom of motherhood is the only way. Then I thought birthing was the deepest surrender I would ever know. The surges of pain which howled through my primal throes, the orgasmic laughter which stretched my cervix open, and the blissful depths of my drowning in post-contraction bliss. Then I learnt to love you, through sleep deprivation, through screaming, through clashes of wills, then through depression, through loneliness and isolation, through heartbreak, lies, stress and manipulation, we found home in each other. So I thought loving you as a solo mum would be the deepest surrender I would ever know. Then I learnt to love myself, through sleep deprivation, through screaming, through clashes of wills, then through depression through the loneliness and the isolation of it all, through heartbreak, lies and manipulation, through learning boundaries the hard way, learning forgiveness and compassion for myself as the highest priority. I thought self-love as a broken mother from a broken family was the deepest surrender I would ever know. Then I watch you smile at me and the whole world melts in our love for a moment and I know how far we have come together. It's only one step on a lifetime journey of our growth that I will learn a million ways to surrender and a million ways to stay strong. But you too shall learn this from me, from my mistakes, from yourself and from your own. That the martyrdom of motherhood was a lie I was fed, 
a lie I will not pass on to you. For you do not need to be a martyr, you need to be a master of yourself, of loving kindness, fierce gentleness, and the balance of clear boundaries and sublime surrender. The Yuruk Justice Commission is the first formal truth-telling inquiry into injustice experienced by First Peoples in Victoria. From Monday, February 27 to Friday, March 10, Yuruk is holding public hearings with First Peoples witnesses who have experienced injustice in the child protection and criminal justice systems. You can watch the hearings online or make a submission at yurukjusticecommission.org. A 3CR supporter. Please subscribe to 3CR and help us to keep doing what we do. Today, we're talking to Fleecy Malay about their art, the power of community, and their poetry collection, Virago, a poetic manifesto. My gender is wondering what to do. I just woke up, scruffy head and puffy face. It's pacing the length of my apartment, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. No, of course I know what my gender is. It's Wednesday mornings packing my kid off to school. It's rushed and unprepared. It's barely wearing underwear. It's phone in one hand, coffee in the other. My, my gender is forgetting my keys, but only realizing once I get to the car. It's walking that same hallway over and over again to find myself in the same place, yet still somehow always arriving late back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. My gender is waiting for Godot. It is the backstage and the fourth wall colliding. My gender is colliding, running into itself over and over and over again. Wait, wait. Today, my gender is fine, actually. Thanks. How about you? Except I turned up to the mirror and I found myself alone again. Rain. My gender is rain, rolling down the window, chasing itself to nowhere, merging itself with itself over and over and over again. Tidal, it is dolphins swimming upstream, surviving in curious conditions, a curious condition. At least I know what I'm not, right? I'm not a matchstick. Though I do burn myself to the ground all too often. I burn fingers that try and get too close, always wet at inappropriate moments. My gender is moist, mostly. Except when it's dry, stubble-torn thighs. My gender is thigh-high stilettos, but I can only really feel comfortable in kicks. Kicking puddles, my gender is a splash mat, and I am the mess. Today, I am wonderful, I guess. I mean, I do love my breasts, and yet, there is that pause between breaths, the space under the stairs, the way a rainbow is both water and air dancing with light, the way a rainbow isn't actually seven colours. In fact, it's mostly blurred lines. And then there are the edges that you can't see. And I'm always concerned that I am the edges that no one sees. My gender is tidal. It is salty mouths meeting salty bodies. I'm salty, this body, 75% water, no wonder I'm fluid. My gender meets me in the mirror, leans in, places one hand on each of my shoulders and says, so, who do you want to be today?
Thank you so much for sharing that. I'd like to pursue this uh, question for a little bit about self-doubt. Mm -hmm. You're an accomplished performer in many ways, as well as an advocate, as well as a community leader um, and running a very long-standing successful event. And a lot of that uh, requires marketing. It requires, I personally think from the outside, a, a shiny facade that mm. you know attracts people in. How do you think about the tension between feeling all these messy sort of nuanced feelings and wanting to be authentic and truthful about it and sharing it, but putting it in a package that in our culture and society today, we can't help but have to put it into that package to, to draw the audience in? There is so often that I think I should be making videos I should be making content, I should be making reels and TikToks and I go into overwhelm and I sit on my sofa and I don't do anything at all, even cook dinner for days because I have pressured myself into doing something that I slip over into overwhelm with. Um, the current pull on artists and creators to be consistently creating content is immensely damaging for mental health as someone who does it a lot. And for me, one of the things I ask myself, I think, is firstly, is this for me or is this for us? And sometimes my struggles are for me. And sometimes they're for me and my partner. And sometimes they're for me and my kid and my family. And sometimes they're things that are also for us, for the wider us. And speaking to the people who also maybe struggle in the way that I struggle and talking to, about those things and to that online. And because I think there's a real issue also, I don't know, from be, especially from being in kind of like the wellness communities, like having crossed over with different kinds of, um, of communities is seeing how so often vulnerability can become another marketing technique. And I see it and it makes me not want to buy anything from that person. If I see someone doing this huge vulnerable share and then at the bottom, by the way, you should sign up to my six-week program. Like, cool on them if that's what they want to do. But for me personally, it, it takes away from the power of genuinely sharing our vulnerability. And there's a line. I think we can be vulnerable online. We can share our truths and share our pains and share our struggles without having to put on the shiny facade necessarily or just putting on a bit of the shiny facade because it's fun um, without consistently leveraging our trauma and our vulnerability for financial gain. I hope one of the reasons for people follow me is because when I do share my stuff they see a glimmer of themselves and it helps them. I don't personally want to be using my vulnerability to, to gain more followers. I want to be able to share my truths and my vulnerability to normalize the stuff that's going on. We're the first generation of people to really be experiencing this much um, transparency into each other's lives. And I think it's, we don't know where it's going to lead. We don't know how sharing this much stuff is going to impact us on the, in the long run. So all I can do is be a living experiment and follow my, my gut and my truth. And sometimes that is like sharing a lot. And sometimes that's sharing nothing. And I just have to have deep gentleness with myself that when I'm doing one or the other of those, I don't shame myself for it. I don't shame myself for oversharing. And I don't shame myself for undersharing. I mean, I do sometimes shame myself, but I have to watch out for when I'm doing it and just care for myself in those moments. 
what do you think you need from the community when you're in the midst of the self-doubt and the shame and the hard times where you can't share and you can't give? Um, I'm a bit of a double Gemini. I'm a double Gemini in that I have always been looking for my like one other, my one other, not necessarily a lover, but my bestie, my best friend. And um, I still really struggle with group dynamic and large group dynamic. I think when I put myself out there in that way, I don't necessarily think of me being part of a wider community, but me and individuals. I think maybe I use my platform and use the people in the kind of kindest sense of the word to support myself back. So when I create content and I ask things, I kind of start these little conversations online that I'm not too committed in. It's not like I have to ring somebody up and then have a big DNM with them and then have to sh- and then I share everything and then I have to deal with the weight of their response. When I share a poem or I share my experience online, I can choose how much I engage back and forth and people can choose how much they give. And I think, so yeah, I think maybe I do lean on people and on my community in that way a little bit in a kind of like, you don't have to involve yourself and commit to this journey. Um, but if people do, I can respond back as much as feels good for me. Yeah. Um, your current project, Fleecy Malay and the Blurred Lines, mm-hmm. uh, involves, you told me earlier, spoken word as well as music. Mm-hmm. How do you think music um, has evolved you as an artist, incorporating music into, into your performance? That's a really great question. I, um, You referred to me earlier when we were talking as a musician, and I really rarely refer to myself as a, as a musician because my creative self-doubt is probably biggest in the area of music. And although I have written songs for years, I've been playing guitar since I was in my teenage years, and singing, my, my self-worth around that was always so low. So a huge journey for me this past few years has been about learning to not necessarily love, but like and enjoy the process of playing with music. So are there any events or um, performances coming up that you'd like to tell the listeners about? Yeah, uh, I, my, me and my band, Fleecy Malay and the Blurred Lines, are going to be performing at the National Folk Festival this year in Canberra over Easter. So if you happen to be in Canberra and want to come, that would be amazing. Um, I'm also always looking for, for gigs and stuff at the moment with the band. I'm so excited to get us out there. So if you're running something and you're interested, please reach out. Um, Mother Tongue this year, after 10 years of running monthly events, is going to be moving to bi-monthly being every other month. So we've got um, the 12th of May, the 14th of July, the 8th of September and the 10th of November this year. So keep your eyes out for those events too. This has been such a wide-ranging conversation. I'm so grateful for you um, indulging me. Um, We do have to close soon, unfortunately. Um, There are, I signaled a couple of poems that um, I'd love for you to read, if you don't mind. So if you wouldn't mind reading these two, one which was Ending Gently. Okay, yeah. um, And um, the last poem in the book to close. Yes, sure. So if it is that we are falling apart, let us do it with love. So as we crumble, the dust of us settles a tender amorous ash of acceptance across this earth. And that was ending gently, but it is fleecy Malay, so we're not going to end gently after all. (laughs)
Oh, this is still a pretty gentle poem, I guess. This piece is called Human-Centric. And I like to end a lot of my books in that... in that conversation with the bigger, in the conversation with something other than my mind. We are so afraid of being alone, I said to the morning. The morning sat and listened. The sunlight kissed my skin. A bird landed on a nearby branch, chirruped a song that I had not heard before. And as the wind sighed, a small white butterfly penetrated my periphery. The morning, she took a deep breath, looked at me and said, how very human-centric of you, my love. Thank you, Felicity Malay. This has been the Spoken Word Show on 3CR, coming to you every Thursday at 9 from 8.55 a.m. on the radio. Or you can find our podcast on www.3cr.org.au. Our guest today has been Fleecy Malay. Thank you for listening.